This is VOCM News Talk. Call 709-273-5211 or 1-888-590-8626. The views and opinions of this program are not necessarily those of this station. Here's VOCM News Talk host Linda Swain. And good afternoon, everyone. Well, uh, wasn't it a dirty old morning? Weather-wise, Claudette. Um, I noticed that it was just a little on the cold side, but I, I think I was oblivious to most of it today. <laughs> I, I couldn't get over the amount of slush on the road, and yeah. uh, especially in the on and off ramps, it was really quite mm-hmm. um, a bit of slush. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Slushy out. Yeah, it was quite <laughs> slushy. Um, that seems to have cleared off a little bit, mostly wet roads, as you indicated there now, but Look at the fog descending on VOCM Valley. My gosh, every time I turn my neck, I see something else. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> I it's, didn't notice that earlier. Um, visibility is really starting to ob- get obscured, especially in the higher elevated areas. So watch out for that if you happen to be. And what was the advice we had the other day, Claudette? Make sure you don't have your auto lights on. You have your regular lights on so people can see your rear yes. lights, especially in the fog or when, you know conditions that are a little Mr. bit Kiley obscured who called that in i remember yes yeah. see we try to educate <laughs> <laughs> ourselves <laughs> ourselves and others uh i'm learning all the time and you know what i did this morning when oh. i got just before i got in the car what did you do i checked the hood of the, the you did you looked up on your roof yeah on so the roof impressed. of the car yeah i was like mm, no i'm all good <laughs> <laughs> whereas normally i would have just gone yeah. <laughs> yeah, it takes a news story to put things in perspective like that. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, uh, some of the big news that came down this afternoon, and uh, we um, expect to learn more about this uh, tomorrow with the possibility of uh, some further information. But the provincial government has awarded an $82 million 20-year contract to Newfoundland and Labrador Health Alliance for the lease of the old Costco building. For years, we've been speculating about what's going to happen in that uh, massive building in the east end of St. John's since it moved out to Galway. So, since the business moved out to Galway, I should say. So, that uh, building has been sitting relatively idle for the last little while. We've been hearing rumors that uh, uh, there was going to be some kind of a health care purpose uh, set for that building, but now we have the information an $82 million, 20 year contract to Newfoundland and Labrador he- uh, Health Alliance for the lease of the building. Uh, for the development of what's being called an ambulatory care hub. And by the sounds of it, this looks like a very significant transitional kind of uh, approach to healthcare in Newfoundland and Labrador and addressing, ostensibly addressing wait times and the like, you know, whether you see a specialist or whether you're in ER for a variety of reasons or whatever. So what the provincial government is saying right now is that this facility will provide a range of services that do not require overnight hospitalization. That would include things like physiotherapy, uh, medical and surgery clinics, uh, general x-rays and ultrasounds. Uh, So general x-rays and ultrasounds, I suppose, just a follow-up kind of things as opposed to let's, you know... Uh, figure out if your leg is actually broken. You know what I'm saying? Uh, The goal, according to the Department of Health, is to reduce demand at local hospitals, reduce wait times, allow for the expansion of emergency surgery and cardiology services at hospitals, uh, 
And because we all know that there's been various contracts let and uh, and tenders gone out for um, expansion of the ER, let's say, for instance, at uh, the Health Sciences Centre and modernization of the ER at uh, St. Clair's Hospital, uh, as well as um, um, the um, contract for uh, a new St. Clair's, for that matter. Um and uh, increase the number of clinic spaces available to uh, healthcare professionals. So uh, this is fairly significant um, and uh, broad ranging in scope. So uh, with any luck, we'll get a uh, clearer picture of what the intent is for that uh, particular building and, uh, you know, when it will be up and running and available to patients and, uh, you know, what kind of process will it be involved in uh, funneling people to that particular uh, service over, let's say, a hospital hospital service or um, whatever the case may be. So we'll find out. Uh, apparently, we're going to find out more about that sometime tomorrow. VOCM News will keep you up to date on all of that. But if you have any thoughts or questions, you're certainly um, uh, welcome to give us a call. Well, Restaurants Canada and the St. John's Board of Trade, among uh, a number of business organizations throughout the region, calling on Ottawa to extend the looming deadline for SEBA loan repayments cough, cough. Uh, The Canada Emergency Business Account, of course, was created to help businesses who were hit hard by pandemic restrictions like restaurants, um, hotels, uh, tourism operators, those kinds of things in particular, but others as well, uh, by offering interest-free loans of up to $60,000 to help them get through some of those really difficult times. Uh, Uptake, of course, was high among restaurants and others in the hospitality industry in particular who struggled through uh, uh, a sudden downturn in business due to the pandemic and pandemic restrictions more more specifically. Restaurants Canada is demanding that Ottawa extend the loan repayment deadline beyond January 18th. That's just days away now, a little over a week. Um, here's some of what uh, VP Atlantic with Restaurants Canada, Jordy Morgan, had to say on your VOCM mornings today. Oops, I don't have it in front of me. I'm so sorry. I will have it uh, shortly. I've done the same thing I that I did the you. other day. Yeah, why don't you? And no, I can't Okay, either. here we go. Well, we've been at this for a while now. We've been talking with the government really, you know, since this uh, came over the horizon. And we were aware that there was going to be a problem with this. We have, you know, a lot of restaurants in this country uh, and in Newfoundland and Labrador that are really on the edge. We're talking about 52% generally across the country. And that's reflective of the numbers in, uh, in Newfoundland and Labrador as well that are uh, sitting in a, a state where they're either not making money at all or they're, or they're losing money. So they're, you know, they're breaking even or losing money. And about, uh, you know, the other half are making margins that are the result of a really, really difficult time uh, over the past number of years for the accommodation and food service industry. We're seeing problems with labor. People are not returning to the industry. Uh, we're obviously, you know, everybody, when they go to the grocery store, they can see what food service costs are going to be like or food costs are like. So uh, this has been a kind of a perfect storm where businesses are having a very, very difficult time. There's a large number of them in our sector particularly. So we're asking the government just to take a last minute look at this. We've been 
we've been on this for a long time, but we're saying, look, this is this is serious, and and you have to evaluate what your acceptable casualty rate is going to be, because we are going to see failures uh, coming up after this deadline. So that's some of what Jordy Morgan, the VP Atlantic with Restaurants Canada, had to say this morning. And uh, the St. John's Board of Trade is echoing those concerns. CEO Anne-Marie Boudreaux joins me now. Well, Happy New Year, Anne-Marie Boudreaux. Happy New Year to you. So uh, the New Year comes with this, I guess, this ominous cloud for a lot of business owners. SEBA loan uh, repayments due now. Uh, What kind of uh, impact is that going to have on uh, businesses under the St. John's Board of Trade? Yeah, you know, so the the deadline that is looming with the 18th of the SEBA loan repayment it kind of varies from business to business, uh, like all things, you know, kind of related to the viability of uh, any sort of business. It depends the sector that you're in, the industry that you're working within, and the size of your business. So, you know, the SEBA loan repayment and the, the Board of Trade has been really active uh, and advocating to government for an extension for a number of months uh, at this point. Um It isn't for everyone. Some businesses are perfectly comfortable. A lot of businesses have already repaid uh, that portion. But the reality is right now there is a sector of our business environment uh, that they're not ready and they're not in the position to repay that payment. And that's the conversation that we're having right now. And the thing that we've been asking government to do is, you know, you can't really apply a general lens and a one, you know, kind of one size fits all approach to something like this. And so we're asking, and the thing that we've been asking government to do is um, assess businesses on an individual case and where businesses do need an extension or, you know, where they can prove that they in fact do need some additional time. Uh, We're asking government to grant an extension. What sectors are feeling that pressure the most? Well, you know, hospitality, uh, without question, those in the restaurant industry have been hit extremely hard over the last couple of years. Uh, retail, particularly small retail, and agriculture, actually, are the industries across the country uh, that are the most impacted by this January 18th deadline. Um, CFIB released, you know, in the last few weeks that uh, kind of from a business confidence perspective, 80% of businesses across the country are saying, no, we can repay this loan, which is great. And that speaks to, you know, recovery. It speaks to strong financial position for a lot of businesses that exist right now. But it highlights that 20% are not in the position to do so. So what can we do to help that 20%? If you think about, you know, 20% or even a portion of that 20% across the country, if they don't survive, the impact of that uh, would be absolutely terrible and catastrophic to economies across the country. So you say the Board of Trade has been advocating for an extension. What kind of response have you been getting? Well, we haven't been getting much, I have to be honest. Uh, we've joined, you know, with a number of other industry associations, another a number of chambers throughout Atlantic Canada uh, and throughout the country in, you know, asking for and echoing the need uh, for government to grant an extension to those businesses who fundamentally at this point in time are not in a position uh, to repay it. And, you know, there's some messaging that's coming out that a lot of businesses can repay it, 
so I don't think, you know, they're really seeing the acuity of the situation. And I guess at this point in time, you know, our perspective would be um, even, you know, knowing that we're, we're only a couple of days away from the 18th, it isn't too late to make a decision at this point in time. Even if it's today or tomorrow or four days from now and government comes out and says, you know what, we understand um, we are going to grant an extension of a year or two years. We've been asking for two. Uh, but, you know, if government comes out at any point in the next week and says we're going to grant an extension, it will provide necessary and real help for hundreds of businesses throughout Atlantic Canada and certainly thousands throughout the country. Is there a fear, though, that this could create an unlevel playing field, if you know what I'm saying, if some businesses who may have been uh, you know, struggling um, manage to pay off uh, their repayment while others are given an extension? Yeah, you know, I don't think you can really look at it like that because all things aren't equal. And for the most part, if you look at some of the of the data that is available and what surveys are being are showing, there are certain sectors that this impacts uh, more severely, and there are certain sized businesses. So I think we do need to be really mindful, um, and that's why looking at things, you know anything from a policy perspective, you do really need to look, um, once you drill down, at individual cases and circumstances and parameters surrounding certain businesses and think about what are the things that they need and how do they differ, uh, which is why sometimes, you know, the blanket approach uh, can't always work. Is there any added political pressure that needs to be brought to bear here, either from the provincial or municipal level? Uh, you know, I think I think there's a little bit. Um, I mean, this is a federal government decision. I would encourage any federal politician to have a conversation uh, with a business owner that is impacted right now, and a business owner that sits in a situation knowing that paying this back feels out of reach for them right now. I think, you know, I I have the benefit, I speak to members all the time, and I have the benefit of hearing their stories and their individual cases, and what our members and what business owners in our communities pour into their businesses, again, particularly those small businesses, to keep them going. Um, I think having a true understanding and appreciation for how difficult it is and, you know, the models that actually um, surround kind of, you know, what what success looks like for them. Um, I would encourage any politician to do that because I think it's really eye-opening and it would provide them with a really firm uh, and in-depth understanding of why paying this back feels not achievable right now. Anne-Marie Boudreau, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity to chat about this. It's important to us and our members. And Anne-Marie Boudreau, of course, is the CEO of the St. John's Board of Trade. Some sad news to pass on to you now. Uh, the uh, Broadbent Institute, uh, if the name sounds familiar, it should. It has uh, announced, it is with the heaviest of hearts, that the Broadbent Institute announces the passing of our founder, Ed Broadbent, former leader of the federal New Democratic Party. Uh, the Broadbent Institute says our country has lost a fierce champion 
Union for Ordinary Canadians, an intellectual who strongly believed in building a good society. Uh, Ed devoted decades of his life to fighting for justice and equality in Canada and around the world as a member of parliament and leader of the New Democrats uh, and president of Rights and Democracy and Beyond. He tirelessly advocated for all people, especially those on the margins of society. So Ed Broadbent, former leader of the federal New Democrats, uh, arguably one of the more popular periods um, in uh, recent political history uh, anyway for the NDP was when he led the party, but he still couldn't eke out any kind of an election win. And uh, arguably he... um, gained the greatest amount of support for the party on a federal level uh, while um, leader of that particular party until, of course, uh, Jack Layton um, and then the party, really, the the, the orange, what were they, what they called? The, the orange, was it the, the orange, orange wave? wave? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, very sad news today, age 87. Uh, so our deepest condolences uh, going out on that. Well, coming up, the owners of the Masonic Temple in St. John's have applied for an extension to the historic structure. We'll tell you more coming up right after this. This is News Talk on VOCN. Your voice in Newfoundland and Labrador's biggest conversation. If you want to know what's happening in your province, tune in to Open Line every day. Have your say weekday morning starting at 9 a.m. on Open Line with Patty Daly on your VOCM. And we are back. Well, the owners of the Masonic Temple in St. John's have applied for, um, uh, to construct, sorry, an elevator in the uh, heritage structure and build a new extension to the building. Morgan McRae joins me now from Vancouver. Hello, Morgan. Hello, Lisa. How are things in Vancouver? Oh, beautiful. I've got to say it's a nice, bright new year and we're looking forward to moving ahead with lots of different projects. Yeah, for sure. And one of them, of course, is the uh, Masonic Lodge here in our Masonic Temple. I'm so sorry, mm-hmm. here in St. John's. Uh, so I see now that uh, the St. John's City Council has received a uh, proposal for an extension to the building there. What are you planning? Yes, that's correct. Actually, just uh, now, they are, in the last couple of days, they approved our um, elevator, which we're very excited about um, for that proposal to go forward. Um, and there's going to be a study to go along with that as well. Uh, but then on the other side of the building, uh, facing towards the harbor end, we're looking to do an extension there to, to bump out the area that was formerly known as the screech room and the bar area. Um, that's just to expand um, into, I, I guess you could call it an atrium type uh, room where we could just uh, offer lots of different um, experiences for, for people in the community. Uh, things like, you know, teas and afternoon coffee, a smaller area for a wedding reception, um, and just make it so that we can um, have a, a, a larger capacity for that area. Um, and so far, we've received really positive um, encouragement from um, the heritage community and from the city. So we're, we're, we're hoping that that continues to go ahead. And I imagine take advantage of some of the potential for some of those great views. Yes, uh, that is a really um, exciting uh, potential there uh, and it's a really rare opportunity for those views that they don't impact any of our neighbors it really is just um, a, a kind of triangle sized plot of land there that uh, isn't really being used or doesn't have the potential for a lot of other uses so 
we could um, put a, um, a another room there with uh, some outdoor seating as well. Very, very small, but really uh, take advantage of the beautiful sights of the downtown city. So you mentioned some of the potential there. Um, it, it, will it be a restaurant or how, how is that going to work exactly? We aren't 100% sure yet. Actually, we're, we're in the middle um, or the beginning, the beginning middle of uh, putting together a feasibility study um, at the moment now to see what is the highest and best use for not just that area, but the entire building. Um, some of the public consultation that we've done so far has been focused around uh, different use cases for the arts. This area specifically, it probably would be more of a restaurant bar reception type area, but it really does wrap into the whole use case for the entire project of, you know, if we've got theater going on upstairs, what's going on downstairs. Uh, we really just want to make Make sure that we're getting as many bodies in the building as we can, of course, safely, <laughs> but to uh, to make it as a welcoming and yeah, useful environment as possible. Are there any uh, special challenges in um, uh, you know developing an elevator in a in a heritage building like the Masonic Temple? Um, not for me personally, but for engineers and architects, yes. <laughs> so it is it is a uh, very old building um, and it's brick. Uh, and it hasn't had a real update like this um, in its history. Uh, so we are learning as we go. I'm, I'm learning tons um, about lots of systems that I had no idea about. Um, but I'm going to call it an engineering feat if we can, if we can get it off the ground. Um, thankfully, um, elevators are, you know, a solved problem. You know, they, there are lots of companies and lots of people who have done this time and time again. It's just a new challenge for us. Um, and it is a little bit unique in the city. You know, it is an expensive endeavor um, and it takes a lot of time. So we're, we're lucky that we, we have a team that um, knows exactly what needs to be done. But we just do need to, um, to, to talk to lots of engineers, structural engineers. Um, I can't even list them all. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a challenge, but one that we're happy to take on. And that is uh, Morgan McRae, co-owner of the Masonic Temple in St. John's. Uh, we're up to news time now with VOCM's Noah Shepard uh, coming up right after this. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News Talk on your VOCM. And we're back on VOCM News Talk. Uh, very sad to hear of the passing of Ed Broadbent, a longtime leader of the federal New Democratic Party of Canada and um, really helped to build that party and uh, gain a much uh, broader, I guess, base right across the country. Um, according to Wikipedia, which has all the numbers, and, um, you know, I, I recall, you know, his popularity, especially through the 1980s, but in the 1979 federal federal election, the NDP under Broadbent boosted their seat count from 17 to 26 seats. In 1980, um, the election just held just nine months later, they again boosted their support from 27 to 32 seats. And uh, following the 
election, Pierre Trudeau, who was the uh, leader of the uh, Liberals, of course, approached Broadbent about the possibility of forming a coalition government, but uh, Broadbent rejected it. It's funny, you know, how uh, history comes around like that with uh, Trudeau's son now formed a coalition, forming a coalition with the uh, federal NDP. The NDP finished within 30 seats of the 1984 federal election, just 10 behind the Liberal Party, uh, led by John Turner. Several polls later showed that Broadbent was the most popular party leader in Canada. Broadbent was the first leader who ever took the NDP to first place in public opinion polling, and some pundits felt that the NDP could supplant Turner's Liberals as the primary opposition to the uh, Progressive Conservative Party of Canada, of course, which was then led by Brian Mulroney. But he could not get an election victory, which was, uh, I guess, his ultimate undoing, politically speaking. A lot of people felt he was uh, simply too nice to be a politician. Um, but uh, And he uh, stepped down then in 1989. Uh, yeah, 1989. Wow. Uh, so uh, he passed away today, uh, sadly, in uh, his... Um, a hometown of Oshawa, Ontario, at the age of 87. Uh, sad indeed. Well, a new book has officially been launched detailing nearly 70 years of the history of the Royal Newfoundland Constabulary. Much more than police, a history of the Royal Newfoundland Constabulary between, and these are the very early years, we should say, 1871 to 1949, up to Confederation, so pre-Confederation history of the Royal Newfoundland Constabulary, uh, written by Dr. Terry Carlson, described as a comprehensive account of the N uh, RNC's contributions to policing heritage uh, prior to Confederation. Chair of the RNC Historical Society, Jim Lynch, speaks with VOCM's Richard Duggan. This uh, was a launch of Dr. Terry Carlson's uh, groundbreaking book entitled Much More Than Police, A History of the Ronald Flank Constabulary from 1871 to 1949. And I might add that this is actually the second volume uh, of the history of the Ronald Flank Constabulary. The first was called Rough Justice and was written by Dr. Keith Mercer and he took it from 1728-29 up until 1871. So Dr. Carlson has now written the second volume which takes the history of the Constabulary from 1871 to 1949. You just called this a groundbreaking book. Uh, why is that? It is because it uncovers information about the wide variety of, of uh, resources um, that the Royal Newfoundland Constabulary provided. And I think it's apt that the book is entitled Much More Than Police because what uh, Dr. Carlson has uncovered is that police officers during the 1800s uh, into the early, early 1900s were doing much more than police. Um, they were looking at the social issues, financial issues, and so on. And in many respects, the uh, constabulary officer in the small communities throughout Newfoundland and Labrador were really the only representative of government. And so they were involved in all kinds of, uh, uh, you know, areas where you would not traditionally see police involved. Not to give too much away, but are there any particular stories or, or tales from the book that stuck out in your mind? Well, that's the interesting thing. Uh, although the book is done in, in chronological format, um, Dr. Carlston's insightful storytelling, um, and he illustrates a deep ap appreciation for the sacrifices 
of the, uh, the men and women who served in the constabulary. Um, so there are many, many stories. It is not a book about just the, uh, you know, the work of the chiefs of police. It gets down to the rank and file and uh, how they conducted themselves within the small communities. So there are stories about Stag Harbor, Stag Harbor, you know, Gold Rush. There are stories about the uh, riot of 1932, the riot of 1861, um, you know, the the removal of the British garrison, and the uh, you know the uh, inauguration of the reformed Newfoundland Constabulary. So there are a lot of detail in this book. Very interesting read. What do you think someone who isn't connected to the RNC at all, what do you think they'll take away from reading this book? Well, I, I think this, uh, Richard, is more than a book just about the constabulary. It's a book about Newfoundland uh, from that period, 1871 to 1979. So the author goes into great, great detail to discuss conditions uh, around crime, around punishment, you know, discussions around the number of taverns that are, were in, in St. John's, the economy, the shift from, uh, say, a British fishery to a more resident uh, fishery. So there's all kinds of uh, information about uh, Newfoundland for somebody who would be interested in our early history. This entire publication was, was funded by Eleanor uh, Gill Radcliffe, and because of her funding, we're going to be able to gift uh, one of these books to every currently serving uniform member, every retired uniform member, and every currently serving civilian member. Um, they'll all get a, a copy as a result. And that is uh, Jim Lynch, chair of the uh, Royal Newfoundland Constabulary Historical Society, about this new book by uh, Dr. Terry Carlson, Much More Than Police, A History of the Royal Newfoundland Constabulary from 1871 to 1949. A very pivotal time, those 70 years leading up to Confederation with Canada here in Newfoundland and Labrador, and a very um, uh, very interesting to uh, hear about uh, the RNC's role and the kind of things that they did in Newfoundland and Labrador prior to Confederation, the, the kind of role that they played. Uh, wasn't just uh, policing as we think of it now, but, you know, they were... They played a, a really big role in, in communities throughout the province, uh, especially as it related to the to the fishery. So very interesting indeed. And they had a big uh, uh, launch uh, earlier this week um, for that book, which is, uh, by understanding, available out on store shelves now. Well, um, uh, Claudette, I always uh, get a... Uh, charge when Sheila Guy Murphy comes into the studios and she did so today on this miserable old day wearing her oil skins and all and it wasn't just regular you know rain gear she was bright and yellow just as cheerful as she is she has this energy about her that just you know follows her wherever she goes so it was lovely to have her again in uh, I had to laugh because when she came in she walked in like she owns the place she of course <laughs> 
but you and let's be clear now. she does um <laughs> but she has a very commanding presence she as does. we all know yeah and when she came in uh, we could see her kind of wandering around the hallways you must have gone up the hall for a moment or two and uh yeah so she was uh, looking around we could tell she was looking for something and noah shepherd went out to you know attend to her and uh she says, uh, you left me all alone. I'm <laughs> 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 like, no, no, Sheila, no, no. We got gotcha. you. We, we know gotcha. you're here. <laughs> we all know you're here. So uh, I got such a charge and a kick out of your conversation with her earlier today about Jersey Boys, which is uh, a hoot in and of itself. Um uh, that I said I'm going to replay it like I did the last time when she started singing and yeah she she really is a ball of energy but what's interesting about this conversation is uh, she talks about the Newfoundland connection with the Jersey Boys so we can find out a little bit more about that I never knew that uh, Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons had a provincial connection oh well <laughs> for anybody who hasn't already heard that uh, chat Stay tuned. We're going to re-air some of that when we come back after this. This is News Talk on VOCM. Start your day off right. Get the latest updates on news, traffic, and weather conditions. Plus, interviews with today's newsmakers. Your go-to source before you get on the go. 5.30 to 9 a.m. weekdays. Your VOCM mornings. And we are back. Well, as I uh, build uh, prior to um, uh, the break, um, Sheila Guy Murphy was in the studio earlier today uh, with VOCM's Claudette Barnes. Uh, two more shows have been added to Tada Events production of Jersey Boys. Of course, the story of Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons. I'm not going to attempt to sing in his falsetto voice like she has often done here on the air. She does a far better job than I. Uh, well, here's uh, Sheila Guy Murphy's conversation with VOCM's Claudette Burns. I'm really surprised by this. So I only know a little. I don't know a lot. I know that uh, you've been uh, chatting a lot about the Jersey Boys a Musical with Tada events before Christmas. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, the Jersey Boys and your new announcement today. Okay, well, Jersey Boys is a phenomenal smash hit, internationally acclaimed Broadway musical, and it is the rags to riches story of Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons, uh, who had some really, really big hits uh, in in the early early sixties, and they're they're a legendary group, of course. So this is a dramatization of their colorful life story and a muse, music with uh, some of their greatest hits and uh, if you know today events you know that they're not just putting on Jersey Boys they're putting on Jersey Boys <laughs> and it's going to be bigger and, and more over the top than anything else but my big announcement today uh, I am over the top to say that this week the uh, cast just went into rehearsal and already the four shows that we had selling tickets at the Arts and Culture Center have very few tickets left for those dates and we are now drum roll brump, we are putting on two extra shows because people love this production so much I mean it's Jersey Boys no pun intended but it hits all the right notes so that's what I'm all excited about today that big announcement that we're adding two extra shows by popular demand that is so impressive and uh, I know a lot of people are familiar with the music Sherry Big Girls Don't Cry Walk Like a Man, man. you know stuff like yeah. that yeah I mean it's just 
going to take people back to a time where it was so different and so happy. I think that it's go, it's going to uh, it's going to do a lot of things. It's going to show an incredible uh, story uh, of these uh, four singers, mm-hmm. uh, Frankie Valley and the, the and seasons. the uh, uh, who is the front man for the Four Seasons, and it's also going to show the behind the scenes. Uh, of their life and how they made it from the rags to riches and how they came across uh, how they were discovered by a producer at the time and songwriter Bob Crew. Now you're ready for this. Okay. Something I bet you you didn't know. No, what? Bob Crew, the first producer and incredible songwriter of such those great hits, Sherry and Walk Like a Man and uh, some of those songs, has a Newfoundland connection. Oh, how so? His parents, uh, the father was from um, Davis Cove, uh, uh, Dawson's Cove, which is down near Hermitage, and the mother was from Heart's Delight. And they weren't, you know, uh, doing very well in Newfoundland, so like a lot of Newfoundlanders, they moved away. And these, this couple moved to Newark, New Jersey. And that's where Bob Crew was born. And Bob Carew was the impetus, the songwriter, the man behind the making of Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons. Frankie Valley and Four Seasons, they were doing, yeah, they were doing okay. But along comes Bob Crew and with his production skills turns it into turns them into the incredible hit that they were with something like ten hit songs in five years. And now we've got producer director terry andrews with only her skill because you know terry doesn't do anything small and she has turned this uh into a production that now people are going hey wait a minute there's only a few seats left we got to get some more tickets we got to put on some more productions uh, some more performances so that's the great news today so you've got extra dates. So mm-hmm. how can people get tickets? Well, people can get tickets now. The tickets, the extra tickets went on sale today at noon at the Arts and Culture Center box office. So you can go to that. Or you can go to 729-399-3900. And that's the box office direct. And, you know, this is not just four guys singing. This is a full production with a huge cast of some of the best performers in this province, choreography, music, st- staging, and you can imagine what some of those numbers are going to be staged and choreographed uh, when you got people like uh, Pamela Pittman doing the choreography and Bill Brennan doing the music. And uh, Keith Roberts, who was uh, so phenomenal in Tadaw's production of Rent, he is the lead uh, Frankie Valley. Uh, Evan Smith who's in everything <laughs> i would say he's yeah he is uh he is such a wonderful performer he's won the four seasons uh john williams who was so sensational in kinky boots uh everybody demanded more now they're demanding more again he's won the four seasons and uh, jeff sims who was such a hit in uh rocky horror so i would say it's a wowza a wowza wowza of a year for uh the 20th year of uh, tada and lots of really great uh female leads too like uh Anna Rumbolt and Dana Parsons and Krista Borden and the list goes on and on and on and on. 
So you really don't have to fly anywhere to these big cities to get world-class Broadway uh, here. You can get them right here. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, there's there's not a person that leaves a Tada production uh, that doesn't call myself or Terry or send us a note uh, or say to the performers, cannot get over it. We saw this in London. This was way better. And, uh, you know, they say, they say things like uh, the incredible amount of talent in this province. Uh, you just look at the shows that are going up and, you know, they are, they are well done. They're, and when they have directors like Thierry, who sees not only what's in front of her, but what she can add to it. You know, if there's glitz and glam, there's going to be more and more and more of it with Terry. She always goes above and beyond. Above and beyond, as do the performers Mm -hmm. that are in her productions. They are top, top shelf. All right, so you can get your tickets at the St. John's Arts and Culture Center. It is the Jersey Boys, March 8th through to the 10th and March 14th to the 16th. You got it, two weekends. And if you want to get a little taste of the Four Seasons, here's December 1963. Oh, what a night. Uh, No, what a night you're going to have. Come on, Claudette. Late September 1963. Uh, <clears> was only as you can see, I'm not much of a singer. But yeah, that was very interesting. Bob Crew, yes, songwriter parents. for the Frankie Valley and the uh, Four Seasons. Yeah, famous American producer, songwriter, and his parents had that cr- a connection. American. I think said, He's a Newfoundlander, right. sure. Both his parents are Newfoundlanders. <laughs> Newfoundland. He's a Newfoundlander. <laughs> Good point. Uh, Dawson's COVID hurts delight. Yeah, Who knew? I'm so surprised by that Newfoundland connection. I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, he passed away um, back in 2014 at the age of 83. Real handsome guy, too. I see his picture there. Wow. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm starting to talk like Sheila Guy Murphy now. <laughs> yes. uh, but uh, yeah, he wrote uh, Sherry, Walk Like a Man, Ragdoll, uh, and um, a, a song that uh, Frankie Valley performed solo, You're Just Too Good to Be True, Can't Take My Eyes Off one. of You. Yep. I mean, these were all staples, my goodness, up through the 70s uh, for sure 60s and 70s um, so he passed away back in 2014 he was a singer himself we're talking about Bob Crew now um, the man responsible for a lot of those hits uh, who uh, whose family's from Newfoundland uh, he was a singer himself back in the 40s and 50s but he found his niche writing co-writing and producing for a wide range of other audience uh, artists sometimes on record labels that he started himself wow um, his first First hit, written with Frank Slay, was the 1957 single Silhouettes. That was a top hit for the Rays. It became a top 10 hit again for Herman's Hermits in 1965. The next year he produced Devil with a Blue Dress On and Good Golly Miss Molly, which was a hit for uh, Mitch Ryder and a Detroit Wheels. So my goodness, is there anything that um, Bob Crew did that we don't know? I know, that that's pretty impressive. And I'm just glad that she came on and, and told us about how successful the show is right now and the fact that they had to add two more shows. Uh, because like she said, people... It's inevitable after each show from Tada events, it's inevitable that people are either going to contact uh, Terry or they're going to contact Sheila and say, 
Wow, I've been to all of these major centers in the world watching these world-class Broadway musicals, and they're on par, if not better. So that speaks to a good testament for how amazing our art scene is here in Newfoundland and Labrador. And some people haven't even checked out anything here. Tons of talent. Yeah. Tons yeah. of talent. And heart. That goes a long way. You can have talent. If you've got no heart, you can't project it. <laughs> yeah, if you know you're what I'm right. saying. Yeah. And uh, Newfoundlanders and Labradorians, as we know, have a lot of heart. It's a vibe. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's a culture. It's a vibe. I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on it. But you see it. And when you see it, you know it. Yeah. And uh, we excel. Absolutely, we excel. Uh, and Bob Crew, uh, songwriter for the uh, uh, Four Seasons, is just one example. That uh, article that I just uh, referenced, by the way, uh, by from the New York Times when he passed away back in 2014. So yeah, there you go. Uh, obviously, they did well because the last time she was in, uh, they were trying to you know boost uh, ticket sales through the whole Christmas. Yeah, rush they were giving season, a discount you know? before the before Christmas. But yeah, it, it's just gone crazy so they said there were just a f almost sold out that's why they had to add on two more shows so it's March 8th to the 10th March 14th to the 16th at the St. John's Arts and Culture Center great it'll be a great show there's Jersey no doubt. boys um and is there anything I you know I'm just talking off the top of my head now so I stand to be corrected on this but is there anything to die events has ever done where they didn't add more shows ah that's a good you know cause it seems to be a pattern hey yeah and that that's great but no anytime I have spoken to Sheila about any of the the ones in the fall because I spoke to her a few times in the fall they had to keep adding because well it's like the 50 50 of Newfoundland and Labrador right it's like once the date comes up people are like oh my god I don't have my tickets and then they just go crazy and buy them and then they have to add on more well shows. Newfoundlanders and Labradorians have always been like that yeah. they, they don't <laughs> usually buy well in advance of right, things they buy it at close yep. to the date we've always been that way and uh, you know mm -hmm. a lot of concert promoters will tell you that the frustrations they have with that but um yeah that's true um we're out of time but uh, i won't be in on this show tomorrow i'm going to be sitting in for patty daly who is taking a few days off i'm very envious he's going away somewhere oh. i won't go into all the details okay. unless he has already said so himself but um anyway uh so uh, i'm taking over for patty daly on vocm open line tomorrow morning so that means brian callahan will be joining you and mm -hmm. our audience this uh, this time tomorrow so uh i know he's already working on a show we've been discussing it so uh, stay tuned for that thanks for listening everyone bye bye for now